0: Turn back to God's word into our book of Romans that we are kind of setting the nose down of the plane, and we're about to land this thing in the next few chapters. We're in chapter 13, and we'll be there today as we continue this series of Life in Christ. And uh, it, it was weird when I got to Romans 13. I, t- I told you in the last several weeks there's background of the first 11 s- chapters of Romans, this amazing letter to the church in Rome by Paul. Uh, that all this theology, and then Paul starts to do this application, and I get to Romans 13, and I had just preached, you know, during the election on government, and I thought, you know, what? Well, we'll just, maybe we'll skip over this, and I thought, no, this is important for us, all of God's Word. We don't want to do that, just skip over, and there's things we can glean from this um, as, we, as we look at, really, the state of our country and our attitude about government. I'm going to read uh, from Romans 13, verses 1 through uh, 7, and then I'm actually going to read 8 um, as well. It's kind of a hinge verse for where we'll be next week. This is what it says. "'Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed.' another has fulfilled the law. I want you to pray because when you read a text like that and you come to church in today's culture, many of you are thinking, man, I need something more than just like be subject to the governing authorities. But I believe God could say something to your heart today about what it means to submit and worship and what it means to submit in a culture that does not do submitting well. So I invite you to pray and in just a simple prayer, ask God to speak to your heart that he would challenge you with his word, no matter what it speaks about, that it would open your heart to him in worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, its truth. We thank you for all the parts of scripture. We've seen and heard all of the ways people look at the Bible sometimes as trail mix, where you can just pick the ones you like and the texts you like and the verses you like and just ignore the rest and we know that that is not a good thing your word is all for us every every last word of it father you desire us to know you better through it and you have specific commands for our good you want to know you want us to know who you are th- through through challenging things at times father So, Father, help us to understand that. Help us to have a deep conviction for the full counsel of your word. And, Father, um, help us now as you speak to our hearts that we would submit and surrender to you, that we would trust that all things are from your hand. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. I pledge allegiance to the flag. You don't have to stand for this. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Now, if you know that, somebody said, you forgot a part. If you were paying attention, I forgot one phrase. But interesting fun fact for you, I'm going to put a picture up here for you. You might recognize this guy in the middle, Dwight D. Eisenhower, President Eisenhower, who you might not recognize is the man to his left. This is Reverend George Doherty. and he was a Presbyterian minister that Dwight Eisenhower went to his church in February of 1954, and he was deeply convicted as he preached about the country. It was talking about Lincoln and freedoms, and he was deeply convicted to add a phrase to the Pledge of Allegiance. You see, 1892 was when the Pledge of Allegiance was written, but it did not have that phrase under God. Reverend Daugherty, he preached, and Eisenhower felt this deep conviction that he needed to add that phrase under God to the Pledge of Allegiance. He believed that other countries could say that with no, no attribute given or no allegiance given to a deity, that any country could just pledge to a flag. But he knew, he was convicted to know that all authority. And all freedom came from God himself. And so in 1954, Dwight Eisenhower added that phrase, under God, to the Pledge of Allegiance. How many of you knew that? I didn't know that. Well, like two. And you're just saying that because you want to be smarter than me right now. But that's what he did. He was deeply convicted. In fact, I had the chance to read that sermon, which was, for me, just interesting anyways, because he's a manuscript preacher and I do that. And he had all these notes and underlines. And I thought, man, this stuff still works. And he said this in this sermon. He said, the only point I am making in raising the issue of the Pledge of Allegiance is that it seems to me to omit this theological implication that is inherent within the American way of life. It should be one nation, indivisible, under God. Once under God, then we can define what we mean by liberty and justice for all. To omit the words under God in the Pledge of Allegiance is to omit the definite, definitive character of the American way of life. And I have a feeling... He really knew that the American way of life was all the way back. These Puritans came over, these founders, and they really desired to live righteously. They were called Puritans because they wanted to flee from all this pagan stuff around them. And our forefathers, regardless of what you think of our nation today, and we think a lot about our nation today, they desired to worship God and to give their very lives to Him, to live their life under God and to submit. government to submit to God and ultimately submission to government was submission to God and so Paul begins in verse 1 of Romans 13 with another very practical simple yet very hard to do in our culture command he says let every person be subject now what is subject in other words the Greek there to submit obey or be under let every person be subject now we should just stop there and say there's no like well, what if, and you don't understand, he says, let every person be subject. To be a subject is to be obedient, to be under what God has designed in the world. He begins to unpack that. Be subject to who? And he says, to governing authorities. This Greek word, exousia, is rulers, rulers, or the Greek word to govern is the one who steers or pilots the ship. There is a leader, there is a system, whether it's people and God has put into place. There is one who steers culture and, and for its good. And he says, be submissive to governing authorities in that way. Being subject to government is one thing, but we know, must know that it flows from a greater thing. Paul unfolds this truth About earthly government and authority. He says it's all from God, for there is no authority except from God. So if you don't like authority, you don't like what's from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. It's from Him, so the ability to have government and to have leaders, but it's also set up by Him, instituted by Him better way to look at that is it's allowed people can't you see people can't submit to anyone especially to anyone in relationships and we'll talk about that especially government when they don't truly submit to god's authority you just can't and people on the other side of that can really submit to really hard things in god's authority and they can really submit to others rightly if their heart is to submit to god first When they are truly under God. Now, that word submission, it's thrown around the church all the time. It's thrown around homes often in a negative way. It's thrown around our culture, and we just don't like it. But that is because we are creatures of rebellion. That's our flesh, and we're naturally prideful. We're naturally rebellious. We don't like to submit. We don't like to be told what to do. We don't like people to tell us that they're right and we're wrong and we just have to fall in line. That is just not who we are. Paul kind of unpacked that in the first four chapters of Romans. He said, we are dead in our transgressions. We've all fallen short of God's glory and we are very prideful. Even witnessing the beauty of God's creation, we still ignore him and trade him for other idols. And so we naturally don't like that, but we have to know that submission, first and foremost, in any category, is a heart problem. It's a worship problem. And when you don't submit, and when you, that doesn't come easy to you, that is really your heart and that problem of your heart. And so this rude idea of submission is, is order. Because I recognize right order from God in society, Then only then I will voluntarily and deliberately place myself under those who God has set over me. Now, in our culture, Christian submission is seen in a bunch of different contexts, different ways with different limits. By Christ to the Father, he submitted to him. By the believer to God. By slaves to masters. By church members to elders. By children to parents. All you kids are thinking of Ephesians 6 1 and how good you do at that right now, right? Wrong. And by wives to husbands, Ephesians 5. But all Christian submissions are expressions to the belie- of the believer's submission to be under God. That's what it is. All of the ways we submit to one another in the church, to submit to, to a spouse, to submit to parents, to submit to government, all of those are expressions of our true submission to God, the giver of life, the true sovereign ruler, creator, sustainer of all things. Now hear this if you don't like this word, submission does not demean me, or reduce me, or reduce my value, for I may have to exercise leadership in one context and submit in another. I have to do this all the time in this church. I can exercise leadership in one context, but I have to submit to brothers and sisters at times. A man is no more valuable when he exercises headship over his wife than when he submits to church leaders. A woman is no less valuable when she submits to her husband than when she exercises authority over her children. Rather, listen to this. Willingness, the willingness to submit shows my value to live under God. That's what it really is as I follow the one who submitted himself in the order of the Trinity to his father, Jesus Christ. He was a perfect example of submission. He left everything to submit himself to this earth, even, and to submit to his Father in that way. Now, remember the context of this letter. Paul is writing to believers here, Jew and Gentile. He is writing under, to these people who are under a Roman government, a very pagan government that has even persecuted Christians. Paul himself has been dragged through the streets, and Paul himself, by the power of the Spirit, writes, be subject to government. That had to be hard to spit that out. That had to be hard. Even, remember, Paul's experience early on in the book of Acts oversaw the stoning of Stephen, right? He stood there persecuting the Christians. It's the same government, if you will, and and the, the Pharisees of the day aligned with that, and this government, and he says, just be subject to them. He is writing to people under earthly government because it's an ultimate hard expression to what it means to be under God and under authority. Paul writes that all authority is from God. God's the author, sovereign, he's ruler. He is saying that every authority or earthly government is only there because God has allowed it to be and instituted it for his big plan and purpose. The best example of this is maybe shown in Jesus' own words before Pilate when he was betrayed and arrested. And this is the encounter here between Pilate and Jesus in John 19. This is what it says. He entered his headquarters again, Pilate, and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Here's what Jesus said. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus was saying, you don't really have authority unless God has given it to you. You just don't have it. God gave it to you. That's why we're standing here. And I could call the angels down from heaven, but because of what needed to happen for him to die for us and his submission to his father's will, which if you remember, he prayed in the garden, if there was any other way, take that away. And he said, Pilate, I know you think you're in charge, but actually like we're in charge. You don't have any government without God's hand establishing it for you. We read that in Daniel 2 earlier. Steve said he establishes kings and kingdoms. He removes kings. He sets them up. So all governments exist in our context here in America. Donald Trump's presidency exists because God allows it to. Think about that. This is regardless of what you think about a corruption and evil level, and that is present in any administration for the most part. And Republicans and Democrats and liberals and independents alike don't get to sit and pick which one is from God's hand and which one is not. And I see that happening in our culture with American Christians like Republican Christians who are like, this is, yeah, we're going to, they're all from God. You don't get to just, like, God's more happy about this. God put them all there for a different reason. The question is, do we submit, subject ourselves in that way? And so in verse 2, Paul warns here, listen, of whoever would resist being under government. And he says, if you resist government, you really resist God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Think about that, just pause for a brief moment. Not all of us are politically charged or minded, but even think about where you, when you just think about the current status of politics in our country, think about your heart and how stuff frustrates you and just like, look at verse two again. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed. Just think about your heart. How do I resist in my attitude towards these things? Now, with some exceptions, some obvious things that go against God's law, which we'll get into, and that's where the muddy water comes into play. But those who generally resist have a submission problem and a heart problem, something in their heart is not right because they don't understand that ultimately we are under God. So it's very simple to Paul here, you see. He understands the root. He understands the gospel. He understands God's design. You desire to follow his commands, and you submit to what he instituted. And then he unpacks what submission looks like, and he warns those what resisting looks like. When you do not submit to government, you break the rule to be under God. And Paul is unpacking that. He's saying, listen, whatever you feel about it, whatever you care, God has designed the world to work a certain way, and you need to submit to it because ultimately it's unto God. Now, the question comes up in your head, well, okay, fine, I get what you're saying, but when is it okay to not submit? When is it okay to not to not submit to government when they're doing ungodly things. And we read that from Daniel 2 earlier, but if you go into Daniel 3, and many of you know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. That's how I learned it too. You know that these three men, they did not submit to government. Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that these three be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, "'It is true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, "'that you do not serve my gods, "'he has established this as law, "'or worship the golden image that I have set up. "'Now if you are ready when you hear the sound "'of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, "'and every kind of music, "'to fall down and worship the image that I have made, "'well and good, but if you do not worship, "'you shall immediately be cast "'into the burning, fiery furnace. "'and who is the God who will deliver you "'out of my hands?'' Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. They were a little defiant, right? If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They honored, they were reverent in his kingship, but they said, we can't do that because that's that's outside of God's law. There are, uh, there are occasions when we cannot submit in that way. And when you read this text, you know their heart is still honoring the person of the king. But they said, listen, listen you, that's when it's different. I cannot do this because it will break my allegiance to the one true king, my God of Israel. And I'm not going to do it. We know Daniel Did the same thing. The rest of the story, you read it, but most of you know it. They were thrown into the furnace and there was the fourth person, an angel. God spared them. Daniel, in the same way, resisted King Darius in chapter 6. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. Next verse. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. That's bad. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed. So law is being written here according to the law of Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. But here's what happens. When Daniel, this is, I love this when I read this this week. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he knew this, he had favor with this government. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, last part, as he had done previously. Nothing changed about Daniel's routine, but he simply couldn't submit to that government in that way, and he was willing to face consequences. And so Paul is writing here, there are occasions where you simply cannot submit, and we don't unpack those all here today by application, but you simply cannot submit if people are asking you to go against your creator in this way. And so Daniel continues his routine in front of the window, and he prays to his God, and of course gets thrown in the lion's den, and what does God do? He spares him. What does this show us? Resistors will always incur some kind of judgment. They will. What kind is up to you? And whose judgment will be in question? If you look ahead to Romans 14, 12, we're going to get there eventually that you see that all will give an account to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Any time we are faced with these situations, we have to choose. Do I truly live under God in this? Or do I do my own thing with my own rules? Paul then goes on to defend his case for earthly government in verses 3 and 4. And he says, here's why it's important. Now, if you've ever read William Golding's The Lord of the Flies, you understand why government is important. How many of you have read The Lord of the Flies You understand, this is a horrifying portrayal of human society in the absence of government. Now, historically, four types of government, this is U.S. history right now, but more world history, you didn't know you were coming for that today, four types of government have been tried. Erastianism, which is when the state controls the church, theocracy, which is the church controlling the state constantinianism which is the compromise where the state favors the church and the church accommodates the state to retain favor and the fourth one partnership the church and state recognize and encourage one another's god-given responsibility and role in collaboration and only the fourth in god's design will ever work he has established government earthly and he has established his church and when the two operate well together only then can society flourish we know in the church, that we are the hope of the world. We have the gospel. So no earthly government is truly ever going to succeed on this planet unless its leaders are truly living righteously under God's law, unless they're living under God. But that's the only way it works in society. And so there's a lot of like stuff around that when the church and the government don't understand their unique roles. Only the fourth is biblical. And you know this if you watch wild west movies like without government everybody just does their own thing. And some of us, some of us I've heard Christians even say this, we'd be better without government. And I'm thinking, ha ha. Say that now but you don't want to be any part of that when that breaks loose. And so Paul says government is a good thing. Don't worry about its corruption level and evil. God has designed and established an instituted order. And his argument is that government acts. And this is the most confusing part of this text. He says it acts as ministers to God. That word in the Greek there, minister, diakonos means waiter or servant, which is why people, although you would say they're not public servants, that's why they're referred to as public servants. They're ministers of God, servants to what God is doing and establishing in his perfect plan to carry out his good purposes. Right away you say, well, it's not good. I've seen the news. I know what's going on. Let me just read 1 Peter 2 again. I need to hear this too. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is what? The will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. There's no extra stuff Paul or Peter writes about this. He says, yeah, it's, it, it probably is messed up in a sinful culture. Why wouldn't it be? But honor people in those roles. Submit yourself unless it breaks God's law. Submit yourself willingly because it ultimately shows who you are in submission to. And so Paul writes in verse 5, Therefore, again, be in subjection. And he cites these two reasons, which I think are pretty important. One, if you remember last week, he says, because God's judgment, therefore one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath. Remember, God will avenge, God will deliver judgment to those. You don't need to worry about that. That's not your deal. But also for the sake of conscience. And that's that that word that links our action. When we just know, we talk this, you know, About this with our kids. And like, what is your conscience saying? Really, that's the spirit in the believer's life. I know this is wrong that I have this attitude towards my government or political things. And that's Paul saying, look at your heart. That's what conscience is really linked to. Look at how wrapped up in yourself you are and how untrusting of God you are in those moments. Do you think it was easy for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel to do those things knowing that judgment was going to come? No, but they did it anyway because they were under God in their lives. They submitted themselves to him in that way. And so Paul says in verse 6 and 7, pay your taxes, pay your revenue, honor, do all these things of, of born of submission. And you can do these three things without agreeing with the rate or the rationale or the character of the one who decrees it. You can do all of those things. And Paul says you should do them to avoid God's wrath and because of your conscience. So I would say this, if Donald Trump because you don't, think, you don't think he affects the way you look at the world, but I guarantee you he does. If Donald Trump or any U.S. president or any world leader for that matter leads in a dishonoring way to God, that is not your responsibility. God will judge that. Your responsibility as a believer or even a non-believer is to put yourself under the hand of God and to live your life under him, submitting your heart to him. Our responsibility is to live under God. There are some ways to do that, that God wants us to do that and submit. And submission will only happen unto God if we understand our position in sin, if we're aware of ourselves, dead in transgressions, a need for a savior. And all of that happens when you encounter Jesus and you hear of his great love for you. I listened to Amy and that that just hit me when she said, Satan knows our insecurities and and he pushes this out in us. But when we're aware of the love that God has for us, that even in all those insecurities and sin and all that fleshly stuff and all the stuff that we really truly hate about ourselves, God still loves me in spite of that. God loves me through that. God takes all that stuff and he offers me Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, for him to die for me and sacrifice. That is liberty and freedom when we hear about the love of Christ for us, when we see the beauty of God, when we desire Him more than other things and worship Him. But you can't do that unless you recognize where you are with God in that relationship, that you need to be reconciled to Him. And ultimately, the love of God creates submission then in our hearts, which was interesting with the way Paul transitions to this next text. He says, Oh, nothing except to love. He says... Kind of like puts all that aside, even though you say pay taxes, pay your revenue, honor the king, do all that stuff. But you know what you need to owe to everybody? Just love. And your ability to love or submit to one another or to government is only because you know the love of God for you and in your life. And then only can you truly love others. And so as we close, I want to just challenge you with one big question and it has to do with government but really for me it has to do with so much more is your heart today under god is every part of your heart today submitting to god are there things that you know this last week this last month this last year that you have just not submitted to god you know that By your conscience, by the Spirit in you, if you are a believer, you know you have not given this to God. Whether it be your family, or this relationship, or your job, or your career, or your success, whatever it is, is your heart living under God? Of course this has application in this text to government, but it's so much more. When When you answer that question, when you're willing to say, God, praying like David prayed, search me. if there is this way that is not living in submission to you right now. And some of us don't like to pray that because we don't want the results, right? We don't want to know what comes. What would God have us do? That would be painful. I don't want to give that up. That's why. That's my treasure. But what in your life do you just know is not living in submission under God? What in your heart is not under God? What have you not given to him? What have you not turned over to the great I am the ruler and creator of all. What have you worshiped other than the God himself? And that could be many, many things spread across this room in our diversity here. All of it, all of it, sin that will keep us from following Jesus the way he truly desires us to follow him. I'm gonna pray for us, but I just want you to use this as a time to just ask God that question. God, what in my life is not worshiping you? What in my life is not submitting under your lordship of Jesus? What in my life have I just kept from you? And maybe God reveals something that you either know about or something that you don't even know about. And I'll pray that he would make us aware of that and that we would lean in to the grace of Jesus Christ for whatever that is. Let's pray together. Father, as we quiet our hearts, I pray that we would truly be prayerful people right now as David prayed. Father, we know that you you know every thought before we even think it. You know every detail about our lives. Nothing is hidden from your sight. Father, we are the hiders. We like to cover things up. We are all scandalous in that way in our lives. And Father, I pray right now that you would use this as an opportunity to just search us and create in us a new heart that worships and loves you. And Father, we know that in our own sins, sometimes really deep, bitter roots need to get plucked out. Maybe we say we love you. Maybe we say we follow you. Maybe we want and desire to do good things, but we know in our heart of hearts we have not turned over something to you. We have not submitted to you in this. We want to keep that from ourselves, whether it's forgiving someone, holding a grudge towards somebody, being prideful in our own success, wanting to be celebrated. Father, wanting to achieve in this world. Father, whether it's wanting to please people or gain their approval before yours. Whether it's a secret, gross sin, a habit, whatever it is that that we justify and we just, we, we want to do it, we like to do it, so we're going to do it regardless of what you say. Father, reveal yourself to us in a powerful way that we would desire to change. And Father, even as we worship through this last song, that we would see you for all that you're worth that you are the great I am, that you love us, that you call us to yourself, even, even in all these things that are flooding our mind right now, these, these gross ways about us, through the grace of Jesus Christ that is found at the cross, you offer forgiveness and healing and transformation and life. Father, I pray that for myself that I would desire you more than any earthly thing. And Father, that we would be a people, a church full of people that live our lives under God in reverence to you and submission to you, the way that fleshes itself out in this country, the way that we honor the president of this nation and honor people, even when we disagree, knowing that they're all from your hand. And Father, as... As I close, just to acknowledge that some things in our life we just do not like that you've given to us, that you've put in our path, whether it be health or relationship failure or, or loneliness or whatever it is that we're walking through right now, Father, there is a desperate need in our heart to, to submit to you in your sovereign way regardless of, of the things that are challenging to us. And so, Father, would we be a people of great faith and trust And if there is one in this room that doesn't know Jesus personally, that they would this moment receive the gift of your son by faith, trusting in his death and his burial and resurrection for sin, that they might find healing and a new life, that they might worship for eternity the great I am. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. I want to leave you with these words from Psalm 138. As we submit our lives under God, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Amen. Have a blessed day, and go in peace.